Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Are only the unlearned believing in creation out of nothing? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We are responding to a video that was found on KSL.com. It had the title, History of the Saints, Joseph Smith's Greatest Sermon, The King Follett Discourse. There were two small paragraphs underneath this video, one saying, On April 7, 1844, the prophet Joseph Smith preached a funeral sermon for Elder King Follett, that was his name, before an audience of about 20,000 people in Nauvoo, Illinois. By the doctrines taught and the revolutionary ideas conveyed, it remains one of the greatest sermons he ever preached. Indeed, it has been called, quote, one of the truly remarkable sermons ever preached in America, end quote. We've been talking about the website that we have, mrm.org slash King Follett Discourse, with hyphens between King Follett Discourse. Follett is with two L's and two T's, we have a, a link to the video. We also have the King Follett Discourse, according to the Journal of Discourses, and we have links to the other shows that we have done. If you would like to click on those, you can hear what else we have said this past week. Now, certainly as evangelical Christians, we do not see the King Follett Discourse as being Joseph Smith's greatest sermon. If it was anything, it was probably his most blasphemous sermon. But we do have our objections to what he says in this speech, and so we're going to continue looking at some of those things that certainly trouble us, and we would hope trouble you if you are a Bible-believing Christian as well. He goes on to say in this message, In the beginning, the head of the gods called a council of the gods, and they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and people it. He goes on and says, Now I ask all who hear me why the learned men who are preaching salvation say that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. The reason is that they are unlearned in the things of God and have not the gift of the Holy Ghost. They account it blasphemy in any one to contradict their idea. If you tell them that God made the world out of something, they will call you a fool. But I am learned and know more than all the world put together. The Holy Ghost does anyhow, and he is within me and comprehends more than all the world, and I will associate myself with him. Now, I've been mentioning throughout this short series, Eric, that this message, if nothing else comes out of it, it exposes Joseph Smith's arrogance. Here we are again. If you don't believe what he believes, you're unlearned. And he he is more learned and he knows more than all the world put together. I brought up the fact that in Alma chapter 5, it talks very specifically about humility. And if a person is not sufficiently humble, they're not prepared to die. Based on what we're hearing Smith say in this sermon, in that point alone, does Joseph Smith sound like he's qualified for celestial exaltation? based on his bragging throughout this message so far. Doesn't the Book of Mormon say you have to be stripped of pride? 
in the same chapter, Alma chapter 5, yes. Smith goes on and says, you ask the learned doctors why they say the world was made out of nothing, and they will answer, doesn't the Bible say he created the world? And they infer from the word create that it must have been made out of nothing. Well, let me stop you there, Eric, because the Jewish people, don't they believe in creation out of nothing? Yes, ex nihilo creation. And Christians historically have believed in creation out of nothing. Right. And don't the Muslims even believe in creation out of nothing? The three main monotheistic religions all hold to this. So Joseph Smith is basically saying he's more learned than all the Jews, all the Christians, and all the Muslims when it comes to this subject. Why would it be impossible, really, for a God who is all-powerful, and that is the God that all three traditions hold to, why would it be so impossible for him to do that? But yet Joseph Smith doesn't want to believe this. He believes that somehow God had to organize matter that was already existing. Existing for how long? Well, it seems like existing forever. Is that even philosophically possible? It doesn't seem so. Well, actually, the Muslims came up with an argument in the 12th century AD, and it's called the Kalam cosmological argument. And it goes, everything that begins to exist has a cause, the universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. So one of the monotheistic religions, known as Islam, created that to go against the idea that you could have eternal matter. Smith goes on in, in this sermon to say, It is associated with the subject of the resurrection of the dead, namely the soul, the mind of man, the immortal spirit. Where did it come from? All learned men and doctors of divinity say that God created it in the beginning, but it is not so. The very idea lessens men in my estimation. I do not believe the doctrine. I know better. Hear it, all ye ends of the world, for God has told me so, and if you don't believe me, it will not make the truth without effect. I will make a man appear a fool before I get through if he does not believe it. I am going to tell of things more noble. Smith, again, seems to show his arrogance when he makes comments like this. He's not really speaking as a humble person at all. But then Smith goes on to say this, The mind or the intelligence which man possesses is co-equal with God himself. I know that my testimony is true. And then later on, in the next paragraph, he says, There never was a time when there were not spirits, for they are co-equal equal with our Father in heaven. Now, obviously, this word co-equal generated some probably uncomfortable feelings with at least Joseph Fielding Smith, who was the 10th president of the church, because when he records the King Follett discourse in his book, The Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, on page 353, he has a footnote where he insists that undoubtedly the proper word here would be co-eternal, not co-equal. And then Smith goes on to say this illustrates the imperfection of the report made of the sermon, for surely the mind of man is not co-equal with God except in the matter of its eternity. Now, the reason why I would have an objection to what Joseph Fielding Smith says here is that, as we explained earlier in this series, there were four men who were recording this sermon as Joseph Smith was giving it. It was Thomas Bullock, William Clayton, 
Willard Richards and Wilford Woodruff. Wilford Woodruff would become the fourth president of the church after the death of John Taylor. What's interesting is that three of the four who were recording this message all use the word co-equal as it reads in the Journal of Discourses. Co-equal. Thomas Bullock was the only one out of the four that used a different word. He said coexisted. Now, Eric, if you had three of four people saying that Joseph Smith said co-equal, wouldn't it make sense to run with that one since three-quarters of those involved heard the same thing? But yet Joseph Fielding Smith, he knows that's problematic. I would even go so far as to say that perhaps if that were true, he would recognize that Joseph Smith was indeed being blasphemous, as we see Joseph Smith being blasphemous for not only this statement, but for other things that he said as well. For the sake of time, we need to wrap this up, but I want to give a quote that he gives toward the end of the sermon, and, and this is what he says, All sins shall be forgiven except the sin against the Holy Ghost, for Jesus will save all except the sons of perdition. What must a man do to commit the unpardonable sin? He must receive the Holy Ghost, have the heavens opened unto him, and know God, and then sin against him. After a man has sinned against the Holy Ghost, there is no repentance for him. He has got to say that the sun does not shine while he sees it. He has got to deny Jesus Christ when the heavens have been opened unto him, and to deny the plan of salvation with his eyes open to the truth of it. And from that time, he begins to be an enemy. This is the case with many apostates of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, there were certainly a lot of apostates in the church at the time Joseph Smith gives this sermon. There were a lot of people that were starting to stand up against Joseph Smith and were starting to have problems with some of the things that he was teaching. I'm sure this one fell into that category. But when he says this is the case with many apostates of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, really? There were a lot of people who apparently had the heavens opened unto them, who knew God and then sinned against God, that they said that the sun does not shine while he sees it. These are people who apparently, according to Smith, denied Jesus Christ when the heavens had been opened unto them, and they denied the plan of salvation with their eyes open to the truth of it. He doesn't give any names in this sermon, and I wouldn't expect him to do that, but I wonder, were there really a lot of people that had met that kind of a qualification and had become sons of perdition as they're understood to be? The reason I ask this is because when we look at Spencer Kimball's book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, he makes this interesting statement on page 123, and it's cited in Doctrine and Covenants Student Manual, Religion 324 and 325 on page 161. Now, again, remember, this manual is citing from page 123 of The Miracle of Forgiveness. Elder Spencer W. Kimball wrote, The sin against the Holy Ghost requires such knowledge that it is manifestly impossible for the rank and file to commit such a sin. Now, are we to assume that the Latter-day Saints living during Joseph Smith's time were held much more accountable than, let's say, modern Latter-day Saints? Because it seems by this statement that Spencer Kimball has made 
that it's pretty much impossible for the average Latter-day Saint member to commit such a sin and to fall into the category of a son of perdition, even though that threat is often used against people who are contemplating leaving the church. They are often threatened with this idea of eventually becoming a son of perdition and ending up in outer darkness with the devil and his angels. All of this has been talking about a KSL video that came out that the King Follett Discourse is the greatest sermon ever given. Bill, would you say that this is the greatest sermon that Joseph Smith ever gave? If it's great for any reason, it's great because it certainly shows the extreme differences that Joseph Smith had in his understanding of God compared to the understanding of God that has been held by Christians going back to the beginning of the Christian movement when Jesus was alive on this earth. We don't see the early Christian church believing any of these things, but yet Joseph Smith is claiming he knows more than anybody else, and he's right, and if you don't believe him, then I guess you don't believe the Bible, he says. I would hope that any Christian who has had a Latter-day Saint say that they are Christians just like you, that you could use this message to politely explain to them why we do not have the same view of God as they do. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.